We're going to look in the book of Ruth, and uh, we started it last Sunday night. We want to be encouraged by it. I, I want to do my best to, to do that for you as we look at it from the angle of what is in here to really give me something inspiring, uh, to help me forward in my lot in life. And uh, so let's talk about that for a moment. Before we actually read the text, let's just talk about the story. Then we're going to read our text for tonight. Our text for tonight is chapter 2, and we're going to look at Ruth's work. So again, the book of Ruth, let's just talk about this, and we'll read the text in a minute. It's probably about, it's taking place about this time of year. Um, Started in April, goes into kind of the summertime. So imagine this. Probably not as hot, um, but it's in Israel, and it's the time of the judges. That means it wasn't the best of times, and um, it was probably somewhere maybe when Gideon was ruling, and with the story of Ruth, of course, it's about, it starts out with three deaths and a bunch of crying and ends with a wedding and a birth of a baby. It's a beautiful story of, of, of a soul being redeemed, of a life being redeemed, of a widow, another widow recovering, and then of a picture of the Redeemer himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth, again, it follows about a foreigner who uh, became a believer, went back into the land of Israel and finds a husband. Wasn't looking for one, really, on purpose. We'll look at some of that tonight. Let me just point out here, if you notice, this is, if you think, four chapters in the book of Ruth. Here's kind of, I can summarize it like this. Ruth's weeping, the first chapter. Uh, the second chapter is Ruth's work. The third chapter is Ruth's waiting. Uh, the fourth chapter is Ruth's, Ruth's reward, or you could say her wedding. <laughs> I say reward in a sense because it says a full reward will be given thee. This is one of the statements in the book. So that's an outline of her life and of the book. Let's talk about chapter 1. Okay, remember? It's a bunch of ladies crying in chapter 1. And they have a reason to. I mean, their husbands are dying. They died. And then they're having to travel together. And they're like, no, don't. You need to go back. Ah, I want to stay with you. No, go back. Ah, you know, they're all crying and everything. So it's a weeping chapter. But what happens is it starts out with this man named Abimelech. He has his wife, Naomi. They have two sons. They go into the land. They travel all 60 to 100 miles here from this north, this kind of northwest part of the picture down east and down south into Moab. They're in a foreigner's land. They're going there because of a famine. Now, I'm not going to make a moral judgment about that decision of what he did, but he went there because of a famine. Um, there was a famine in Israel. He goes there. His two sons, uh, whose names basically mean sick and sicker, uh, they die. They, well, actually, they, get, they, they, they end up marrying, and they're, they're married. Uh, but before they even get married, the man Abimelech dies in the land. So Naomi's husband, Abimelech, dies. And um, Elimelech, I said Abimelech, it's Elimelech. He dies, of course, and so now you have a widow. Here you have uh, Naomi who's now a widow. And now she has two daughters-in-law. The two daughters-in-law, of course, they're daughters-in-law because they married the two sons whose name sort of indicate they don't have the best of health. These two guys, Mahalan and Kailion. 
One's name means sick, sickly, and the other one means languishing. It means he's getting sicker. And so these guys are married to them, these ladies, these Moabitess, which was probably not the right thing to do. It doesn't seem like they had made professions of faith. You see one of Ruth a little bit later. But they married Moabitess women. But they die. Here now the Moabitess women are left with their mother-in-law, three widows, an older widow, not too old. Apparently she's able to breastfeed her grandson by the end of the book. But an older widow and her two daughters-in-law, Moabitess, probably young widows now, and they're all without husbands. She hears that back in her land that they escaped from, there was bread now. So she goes back. She decides she's going to go back. That is, God had lifted the famine, probably because the nation got right with God. As you follow the book of Judges, it's kind of like that. They forsake the Lord. God judges them, oppresses them. When they repent, get right with God. God gives them a deliverer, and then God blesses them again. So, so they, they decide, these three widows decide they're going to go back. And so um, they begin to make their way back, all three. Naomi stops and says, all right, girls, this is, there's nothing for you in this. If I were to be married tonight and have sons, are you going to wait that many years for them? It, I'm grieved for your sake that the Lord has afflicted me like this. Uh, go back. Go back to your, your gods. Go back to your people. And, uh, and, and, and Orpah makes a choice. Ruth makes a choice. And Naomi's making a choice. And Orpah goes back. Ruth says, no way. I'm staying with you. Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to stop from following thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people. Thy God, my God. That's a pretty clear statement of faith right there. I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the Christians, Old Testament sense now. And, Ruth's, and uh, Naomi's like, all right then. And then, so they go, and Naomi gets to town, and uh, she gets to town, and everybody's like, whoa, because they were, they were known, they were of reputation, this family of Elimelech. He probably had some wealth at some point, mortgaged off his land, mortgaged off his possessions as he left, but they were known. When he comes back, they're like, is this Naomi? Is this the one whose name means pleasant? He said, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. And she's... She's different. And so I want to pause right here and kind of recount some of the things that happened. I just want to spend a little bit of time reviewing this, and then we'll go into the new thing here. What you have is stuff that happens with a lot of us, is unexpected hardship, or what you might say, um, unforeseen Tragedy. All three of them. Now, maybe the young ladies could have saw it. Like, I don't know about my husband. He's coughing all the time. I don't know what's going on with this guy. Maybe they could have seen it. I don't think it. Naomi saw her husband dying so quick. But her husband dies. Then the, 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 her sons die. So she's a widow. Her daughter-in-law's a widow. And, and so all of these ladies are responding to unforeseen hardship and tragedy and then they make and so that happens to us i do not know what's around the corner i have no promise from god that oh you won't you won't ever get in an accident your kids will never get a disease i 
I don't, I don't want to outlive any of my kids. You know, I want them to live longer. I don't want tragedy. But God is sovereign in all these things. It's His call to permit, prevent, or produce something. He is, that's His call if He wants to. However, I could have something. Well, these ladies have this. And so in chapter 1, basically you see three choices on how, to, on how they responded to unanticipated tragedy. One turns back. One turns in and one turns Godward. One turns backward. So Orpah's like, you know, okay. All right, I'll go back then. I'll go back to my God. She was on the precipice of being able to go to a land where God was clearly known and declared. Israel. They were just right, made right with God. If there was that, if, in Israel, if there's a famine listed, lifted, that means they got right with God. She could have, and she's, I will go. Yeah, there is no hope. I'm going to go back to my gods and my people. So she turned back. That's how some people, when we have a, when we have a problem, when we have an inexplicable tragedy, I'm just going to default back to how I used to think, how I used to act, what I used to believe. And sometimes we can do that. Be the Orpah. Or we can do like Naomi. I'm a believer, but I'm just going inward and I'm turning bitter. And she turned, Naomi turns bitter. She went inward. And I'm glad that we see her work through that in this book. And the bitterness turns sweet. Starts to turn sweet in chapter 2. She goes inward. And Ruth, who has, who's also a widow, like the other two, she decides to go Godward. When it's time to leave and leave the land of the Moabites, which were pagan, yeah, that's it. No, my, your God's my God. Thy people are my people. She went Godward. She, she did, she, she's processing her pain by going toward God, not away. And sometimes that, that can be how it is with us, that we, we just need to go Godward. So now we're in chapter 2. So here we go. Chapter 2. Uh, well, let's look how chapter 1 ends. By the way, let me pause a second. <clears throat> I want you to realize something as we're going into chapter 2. She's like, I'm going with you. Thy people, my people, thy God, my God. And she does. She goes to Israel. And there, the beautiful story, the beautiful story, she meets this, just happens to be in this field of his and meets him and all this stuff gets arranged where God coordinates it where she marries the right guy and happens to be in the lineage of Christ. So many cool things. But before she was able to say yes to the right guy, she said yes to God. Before she said yes to a man, she said yes to God. That's it, right there. So chapter 1 ends, verse 22, look at it. Naomi returned in Ruth with the Moabitess, um, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, so this is about April. Beginning of barley harvest. So here's what we're going to do next. We're going to read the passage, and our goal tonight is to notice three descriptions of her work. But I want to just read the passage here first, and we'll go back through. Here we go. Ruth's work. Ruth's work. Chapter 2, verse 1. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, 
and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitess damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So, so she came and hath continued even from morning until now that she tarried a little while in the house. Then said Boab's unto Ruth, Hearst thou not, my daughter? Go not glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by, thy, by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them, and have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go, and go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death, pardon me, it, it hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up in, uh, to glean, the Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let, and let fall some, pardon me, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until the even, and beat out that which she had gleaned. It was about an epaw of barley. And she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. And, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, oh, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is next, pardon me, the man is near of kin unto us, one, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, he said also unto me, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. 
And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So what happened here? We'll do a quick review of this and we're going to come down. Here she is. She decided one day, I'm going to go work. We'll look at that in a little bit. She goes working in the field. It just happens to be that she's, there's a large field that looked like they parceled out the field, but part of the field belonged to Boaz. She happened to be gleaning in that. We'll talk about that. She's working there all day. In the middle of the part, some part of the day, Boaz shows up, field owner. Hey, guys. Hi. He's a very, this guy is a gentleman of gentlemen. I like Boaz. I think we'll just do a whole message on him from chapter 2. I'm thinking about it. He is a, he is a good guy. Lots of lessons right in this chapter just about this guy. Comes, hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. And then, who's this lady right here? And they told him about her. And he goes, oh, I know who she is. Hey, my daughter, you know, and he has this uh, he has this cordial conversation with her. Stay here, we'll take care of you. Keep working here. Um, invites her for the midday meal. She eats the midday meal. Gives her some food. She didn't quite fill her belly all the way. You know, she's being a rather discreet girl. You know, don't overeat on the first date. You know, um, but she did take a doggy bag though, because she did take some of that extra. It's in the text. Not to say doggy bag. Maybe in the Hebrew, but. Um, but she, anyway, so he, she eats with them and everything. And by the end of the day, he's like, hey, just let, drop off some, let her drop some handfuls on purpose, you know. The gleaning is when you're picking up the, 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 the scraps in the field. And he says, hey, make sure extra fall down. And so she does it. She takes home about, she, she, this girl's working. She beats out the barley and the wheat and, and has the grain. The net, the net gain of grain is about five and a half gallons of dry grain from what I read. That's a pretty good size. I mean, take about the water jugs a little more filled with the grain. Uh, so she had talked to him, and uh, he, that's when they met. And then when she gets home, she brings this grain home, and, and, and mother-in-law's like, where did you go today? Oh, yeah, I was out gleaning and everything, and, and I was in this uh, man named Boaz. Just right there. What? Boaz? He's one of our relatives, meaning connected to uh, her husband. We didn't know her cousin, but we don't know but he's a kinsman. Whoa, hey, just, this is good. This is good. And she's like, yeah. And he said, just keep coming back. Really? Yes, this is good. We're getting setting up for something good here. And that's basically what she says. And I don't want to get all focused on that. Here's what I want to focus on. I see a very good thing here about Ruth. And here's the point. So we'll see. We're going to see her work. We're just going to notice three points about her work. She has a beneficial work. What she's doing is beneficial. She has a humble work, and it's a guided work. God is guiding her in this work. The theme is Ruth's work. Now, let's pause before we talk about Ruth's work. Talk about us. If you have faith in God, God expects you and I to work both vocationally and ministerially. He expects us to work. It says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto the purpose of, means it means unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained several things, and one of them is that when you get saved, you're saved to not to sit, but to get up and get, to do something for Him. So we're, 
went to work. She gets home. She, she gets to her place where she's had, she's had faith in the Lord, and she's getting about working. The Bible says in Titus 3.8, I'm going to read quickly Titus 3.8. Uh, Paul tells Titus to charge the Christians, and that would be all believers, of course, that uh, they which have believed in God, he says, I, this is a faithful saying, and these things will I, I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So Ruth is working. We're Christians. We believe on the Lord. We need to work both vocationally and do something for the Lord, whether it's a formal sense in the church or informal sense in another way for the Lord. So let's talk about these three descriptions of her work. It's a beneficial work, first of all. Um, is there water right there, babe? It's a beneficial work. Okay, so look at chapter 2, and let's look here. Again, verse 1. Pardon me, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me go, pardon me, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn. So, this is a beneficial work to glean ears of corn. She is going to spend probably two to two and a half months doing this outside work of gleaning, working in a field. Anybody ever work in a field like of any kind of farming? Okay. Sonia, your dad did. Sometimes he would do this trip, right, in the fall up to Wisconsin and work this corn, right? Huh? What's that? That's pretty cool. Sonia's dad would work in a cornfield, you know. Anybody, whoever's worked in a field like this, in some, all right? See, we're all city folk. Like I said, my grandpa had a farm, my dad had a garden, and I got a can opener, you know? <laughs> so, actually, we try to have a garden, but, you know, here she is. She's working, in the, she's working in a field. She's doing something that's profitable. She's doing something beneficial. Well, how is this beneficial, kids? Tell me. What good is this, kids? What, what's this for? Somebody talk to me, kids. Huh? Food. Food's good. You mean it doesn't, I don't see any loaves of bread. Oh, that's grain. Oh, yeah, you got to process this stuff, right? She's working in a field for food. Who else? To what benefit is this, though? To, is it just to her benefit? Huh? Who else, kids? It is for everybody. So that's right. And, but, but when she gets home, who else gets a blessing from it? Mom-in-law. Hey. Keep mom-in-law happy. That's good. She's, she's, she's doing beneficial things. She's working. I'm going to go out in the field and, and work. And she's c collecting the sheaves, and she's got to thresh them and break, get the chaff, separate the chaff from the wheat or the grain, so to speak, collect it, bring it home. And now she's got a, she's got a you know, couple buckets or baskets, whatever, of grain. And now she's very organic, you know. You got some to crush it and, or soak it. I don't know if they had to so You got to soak your oats, you know. I don't know. I mean, did they do that? Anyways, anyway, anyway. so she brings home the grain, and, and it's beneficial. They're going to have some grits, maybe, or oatmeal, or bread. Or, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with the grain. Ladies, this is like going shopping all day, but outside. You know, that's what she's doing. Necessary food. She's spending hours doing it, several months, six days a week, presumably not seven, six days a week at least, or uh, at most, going in the field, collecting the sheaves, threshing them by the end of the day, collecting the grain, bringing it home, making sure there's supply. You do this in the summer. You do it, 
of course, this is the end of the spring, into the summer. The Bible says, there's a proverb, I'm probably just going to paraphrase it. It says, a foolish son sleeps in the harvest, but a wise son gets going and collects the grain because when fall comes and winter comes, you're going to have to draw from what you worked for for that summer. <clears throat> so she's doing a beneficial work. She's spending hours. Let me ask you this. We spend hours, all of us spend hours doing something. What is it? Did you know most people on their phone, you can have a, what's it called where you can check your time on the uh, screen time? And what have I been doing? And it can rate, you know, like the iPhone can tell you how much time you spent on social media, on productivity, on, you know, communication. And you can see what I, is that what I've been doing? We can find out how we've been spending our time. We can ask, is am I, if I've been spending my time in something beneficial? But this is what she's doing. She's doing beneficial work. And now something a little more thorough that we can elaborate on is that she's been doing a humble work. This is a humble work. Talk back to me. Why might this be humble? For the poor people. Yeah, it's for the poor people. No, wait a minute. From what I can tell, the family she married into wasn't poor at first. But now they are, and now they've got to live in, in, right in front of the eye of the public as if they're poor. That's humbling. Okay, it'd be like, you know, I, I don't know what it'd be like. I wish we needed to re, kind of get something like this again, don't we, in the United States? Make people work a little bit to get the food stamp first. You know, I don't know. But here's the gleaning. Here's what it is. It's prescribed by the Old Testament. God cared about the poor. He does care about the poor. He says, I'll help you, but you've got to do a little bit of work. You know, and it might look humbling. See, we this is the one country where you can be poor and get something for nothing and not be humbled about it. But here it is. What it is is that God made it part of his law. Anybody who had fields in the Old Testament, if you had a field, it shows in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You go through, you reapers, they cut the they they collect the bushels. They cut with the, the sickle, and they're collecting, they're collecting, they're collecting, and they put it in bundles, put it on a wagon, whatever. He said, when you drop something, it stays there. Oh, I dropped it a little bit. Can't pick it up. So it says in Deuteronomy. All right, then. Keep going. Get that whole field cleaned up. You have all your bushels, and then, oh, we dropped some more. Maybe a bushel fell off the, maybe a bushel falls off the wagon. I don't know. Maybe that would count, too. But I know certainly that when you're cutting and you drop it, it stays. In fact, they don't even to cut the corners. of it. If it's a square field, you leave the corner parts. So that's almost like cut it like a round in a circle and leave the corner parts. And God says, you don't do that because the, I'm gonna, that's my provision for the poor. You don't go cut that and hand it to them or pick that up and hand it to them and carry it to their house and say, here you go. They need to come out to the field. They need to get out there and have a basket or something in their arms, and they pick up the stuff that you dropped, and they collect it. And they go over into the corner of the fields and find a way to cut, cut down. Maybe they have to borrow your sickle. I don't know. And they cut those sheaves in the corners, and they collect it, and they get the field all cleaned out. And that's my provision for the poor. She was doing that. That's humbling, because you're basically saying what your economic status is. I'm poor. And uh, it's not fun to say that, you know, to be classified as that. It's humble also because she's a stranger. She's a Moabitess. Again, here's Moab. She traveled into Israel. She made a clear profession of faith, and people did hear about that. 
but maybe not everybody would be friendly to a Moabite. She went into that field. She's working in that field, gleaning. She's a foreigner. Her, her heritage is ugly. The Moabites came from incest. If you go way, 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 way back, that's not honorable. And, and so, but she's converted, and here she is. She's, put, she's making herself vulnerable to the public eyes of the Israelites. That's humbling, a humble work. Stranger in a new place. It's new. Sometimes it's hard to do something in a new place. Like, what is this? What do I do now? Everybody's watching me. That's what it was like. But she just went out and did it. She had initiative, too. She said in chapter 2, verse 2, she's like, let me go work in the field, mom-in-law. Let me go work in the field. She's like, all right, go ahead. She has some initiative in this, in this thing that's humbling. It's also uh, humbling because, again, it's a step down from their previous possibly wealthy reputation. It's also humbling in the sense, if I haven't described it already, that it's a lot of stooping down. You're mostly picking up, you know, stuff they dropped. You know, that's kind of humbling to pick up something that somebody drops, you know. Somebody drops a penny. I know some of you, you know, like, some of you are walking down the street, somebody drops some change, like, and, and your son's like, hey, they just dropped some money. You know, no, you know you want to pick it up. You know, maybe it is a silver quarter from 1964 earlier, you know. Drop it on the ground, bing, oh, no, it's not, you know. You know, it's humbling to pick up after somebody else, right? That's what she's doing. It's a humbling work. Um, long days. I don't know how hot it was. Probably not too bad, but it's hot. We know enough about Israel that it just starts getting hot in the spring. Stooping. She's getting dirty. You know, a lot of ladies are like, I'm getting dirty. My arms are dry. I need some lotion. She's getting dirty out there. You know, you don't know what cracks in her fingers this is doing to her. You know, I don't know if she has a gluten. Probably not a gluten issue back then. We're, that's just a weird American thing. But anyways, um, and maybe it's because we don't have the grain. We're not eating the grain they have, perhaps. I don't know. But here it is, a humbling work. Now listen. Ah, oh, we're called to be like that. We're called to be like Ruth on this one point right here. To, have, to not be, not shun a humbling work. Let's hold your place and let's go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. And Paul basically tells the Philippians, hey, don't, don't shun something that's humbling because your, save, your Savior did not. It was the most humbling act, dissension you could make. Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you, the mind that's willing to humble themselves for the benefit of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he's already as high as you could be, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And God exalted him after that, of course, through the resurrection and ascension. So what is it saying? Paul's saying the mind of Jesus is this. Jesus is God, equal with God the Father. He sees our need, and He humbles Himself in that He becomes a man, become, lives a relatively obscure life till age 30, and looked like probably the common Israelite. 
and he humbled and became a servant-like position and humbled himself to be rejected and put on a cross. And so Paul says, have that mind. That is, if humbling myself serves to benefit somebody else, I need to humble myself. There's some things that we as husbands can do to humble ourselves if, we, if, we if you would realize how it could benefit your spouse or benefit your child. Her work was a humbling work. Jesus, is, Jesus demonstrates that for us. We're called to be that way. Let me ask you this. Was there anything Jesus refused to do besides sin? I mean, the type of work. I mean, there were some things that was a matter of timing. Okay, this isn't the time yet. Jesus didn't refuse to wash feet. He didn't refuse to, to serve and care for people, the, you know, the, the the even the was it the Syrophoenician woman? He kind of put her off for a little bit, kind of drawn out her faith, and then he still ends up blessing her. Is there anything that we refuse to do? Would I ever be like this? Do a humble work? What is it I refuse to stoop down and do? That's not an issue of sin. Ruth is, Ruth's work is beneficial, it's humble, and then last of all, it's a guided work. This is beautiful. This is where you see a kind of this outstanding quality of God's guidance. Look what it says here, chapter 2, verse 3. She went, so she's going to work, first day at work. All right. She's going to work, it says, verse 3. She went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on part of the field belonging to Boaz, unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of her father-in-law, Elimelech. She didn't know this. There was, I don't think there was any signs in the field that says, Boaz over here, kindred of Elimelech. Ruth, you need to get over here. There's, we don't know any of that. It was just, that's what part of this field was. And it says that three-letter word there, her hap. You know, that's a power-packed word. Her happening. The, the, the chance, her chance, her... Um, Circumstance was that she just happened to be in this field. And what was it? The field belonging to the guy that was, would be the perfect person to change their life as widows. Let me back up a little bit. You have Ruth, the widow. You have her mother-in-law, Naomi, the widow. They're poor. <clears throat> now, let me try to best I can describe this. When they go back into Israel, they have property, but apparently somebody else owns, or apparently somebody else has possession of it. But they can buy it back by Israeli law. You can buy back the property you owned. If you can get somebody, if you can get the money yourself or a kinsman, somebody related to you who has enough wealth to buy it back for you. And the kinsman, so, so, so this guy would qualify to help them get their wealth back, get out of poverty. This kinsman also would qualify to marry the widow of the deceased. When a woman died, I think they call it leveret marriage. It's described in the Old Testament. If a woman died, they basically looked to her, um, uh, her brother-in-law. And he would have the option of marrying his brother's widow. He didn't have to, but he had the option. Or another kin. She would look to the kin first in her remarriage. Well, he would qualify also to marry her 
and to redeem their uh, property and bring them back out of poverty. And so it just happens that she was working there that day and right in front of the eligible bachelor. Her hap. Let's look at a couple of um, passages here. Look in Proverbs 16, 9. Proverbs 16, 9, it says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. That's good to know. It's okay to make plans. But say, God, I'm making plans, but would you kind of steer this thing? All right, let's look in chapter 20, verse 24 of Proverbs. Chapter 20, verse 24. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? It will just keep depending on the Lord, I suppose. Let's go to, we're going to go back to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We have a song about this in the hymn book. Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's verse 23, Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. All right, then, God, this is a step for you that you have for me? All right, then. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him in his hand. I'm glad God gives you second chances. God directs our steps, especially to those who are yielding to him. Let's look in Jeremiah 10, 23. All to the right again. Jeremiah 10, 23. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. I don't understand all this. In fact, let me me read you a quote like what Warren Rearsby is a good Bible preacher of times past, said on this passage. Listen to what he said about God's providential working. Listen to this. He said, God's providential working in our lives is both a delight and a mystery. God is constantly working with us, Mark 16, 20, and in us, Philippians 2, 12, and 13, and for us, Romans 8, 28, and accomplishing His gracious purposes. We pray, we seek His will, And we make decisions and sometimes mistakes. But it is God who orders events and guides His willing children. This is interesting. In a spectacular vision, the prophet Ezekiel saw providential workings of God depicted by a throne set on a firmament that was moved here and there by, quote, wheels within wheels. You can't explain it, but thank God you can believe it and rely on it. Isn't that true? I can't understand how God coordinates everything. I just know He does, and it's my job to fear Him, keep His commandment, try to follow Him and let Him coordinate how He wants. And I think that's what's happening with Ruth. Ruth, she's doing a beneficial work. She's doing a humble work, and God's guiding that whole deal. One person says, if you want want your dreams to come true, don't oversleep. She didn't miss out on any divine appointment. Guidance from God comes on the heels of ordinary faith-based decisions. 
So, yep, this dude comes in, and she gets to know him. Chapter th- we'll, we'll look a little more in chapter 2 about him, and then go into chapter 3 in the uh, weeks ahead. How many, anybody have a set, anybody need to set an appointment this week? Tomorrow, oh, you can't tomorrow, it's 4th of July. On Tuesday, oh yeah, pastor. On Tuesday, I got a call, and make an appointment for somebody. Does anybody have a point? I, I'm not trying to like pry real deep, but anybody have an appointment this week? Anybody? Appointments? Okay, everybody, you know. We do. We actually orthodontist, Johnny. Jim, orthodontist. Fix that bracket. Have an appointment. We had to call, make the appointment, and wait, you know. Um, sometimes some, some dentists and orthodontists and different specialists, oh, you're out two months? Oh, man. You know, anybody, does anybody on Craigslist do this stuff? You know, no, just kidding. Nobody does Craigslist. But, um, you know, uh, not anymore. An appointment with Jesus Christ can be made right now for salvation. See, there's an appointment that God coordinated for her to meet Boaz. But the Bible says as far as being saved and meeting the, the Boaz of our soul, it can be made right now. Do you realize that? We'll hope to say this, that let me go back here. Uh, this guy right here is a picture of Jesus. Yep. And I hope to say it several more times. And it's not a strain to say this. She pictures us. We're, po- we're in poverty. We don't have the, the identity that we need to have. We're foreigners. We're poor. We're, you know, bereaved or widowed in, so, in a sense. And he comes, he does not have, he doesn't have to redeem her. He doesn't have to marry her. He chooses to. She wasn't really seeking him. He found her. That's us. We're poor. And we, God stirs us, of course, to have faith. But he finds us. He redeems us. He gives us a new identity and enriches us. And to be enjoined to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to have a true saving relationship with Him can happen right now for anybody. The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We're all poor, beggarly. And the Boaz of our soul, Christ Jesus, can save a person anytime. But there it is, Ruth's work. Ruth's work. What's your work like? What's your attitude like about what you do? I think if we do have the type of attitude Ruth has, we'll experience, I think, in some ways, a guided work like she did.